Morning, Christ Bible Church. Great to be here together, worshiping a great God. Special welcome to those who join us online, my mom and my sister. Welcome to them. Um, I'm Chuck Oldman. I'm a pastor here at Christ Bible Church, and it's my privilege to lead us through these final verses in uh, 2 Peter 1. Uh, the scripture journals are still in the back. Uh, you get bonus coverage. You get 1 Peter and Jude as well as 2 Peter, so uh, they're going fast. Um, I don't want you to have the sense that there's dissension on the elder board or anything, but, and I wasn't here, so I wasn't an eyewitness to what happened, but I still think that Cornell and his troops marched around several times and the wall came down, okay? That's, that's just where I land, so sorry. You know, as the uh, great theologian and philosopher Pontius Pilate once asked, what is truth? Um, well, today we live in a world where that question is still asked a lot, actually. We have fake news, we have conspiracy theories, we have social media free-for-alls, uh, Twitter bans for telling lies, uh, Twitter reinstatements because the tweet turned out to be true. Uh, we certainly live in interesting times. But how do we uh, navigate that part of our lives in this world? Well, I think if you're like me, you have lots of conversations with lots of folks that devolve into, well, you know, the YouTube expert said this, and then, oh yeah, but the, the, the Twitter said this, and he tweeted this, and that said that that was not true, and you go back and forth, and the fight's on. You know, I personally know people who think that the, the earth is flat, and that the moon landing was faked, and just, so what do you do with that? I mean, I, I don't even know. Uh, so in today's world, how do we know what is true? I know that's a deep question, and Peter deals with that in this text. A question you probably all have as well is, is there a map? And uh, it, there's a map of sorts at the end, it's, but um, you'll have to wait and see. In today's passage, you'll see Peter deal with this problem of, of truth. Uh, we will witness firsthand his, the defense he mounted in this arena and how that truth can help us be grounded and grow in the faith. Uh, just a little background to kind of remind you where we've been. Um, these elect exiles that Peter is writing this letter to are followers of Jesus, probably northern Turkey-ish, and uh, probably wrote this around 65 AD, which was a few years after 1 Peter, and probably shortly before his death. Um, he, these exiles he's writing to weren't physical exiles, they were cultural exiles, much like us today. So... Uh, the themes from 1 Peter, for those of you who were here when we uh, taught through 1 Peter, it was a letter of encouragement in the midst of trials and, and sufferings and persecution. 2 Peter has a different tone to it. It's more of a, a direct exhortation to the people to encourage them to stand firm against false teachers. Um, these teachers in particular were denying the second coming and therefore the final judgment and were uh, saying it was okay to do whatever you wanted to to follow your own sinful desires because Jesus wasn't coming back. As, uh, so far in Second Peter, we've looked at the first week, two weeks ago, Paul took us through the first four verses, which talk about our faith in Christ and uh, how God has provided for us in that way. Last week, Randy took us through 5 through 11, which talks about the fruit of that, if you would, the consequences and confirmations resulting from that faith. In today's passage, I would argue that Peter anchors this whole text in, uh, by laying out the principal means of how we draw on God's uh, provision to help us 
live out these truths. So looking back on where we've been in, in 1 through 11, uh, to draw on that who God is and how we appropriate that and live it out in the virtues that we saw, and also looking forward to chapters 2 and 3 when he's going to deal with these false teachers. This is who they are, and then this is their wrong teaching. So it kind of anchors both of those pieces. And he does this anchoring with uh, an urging today and with an uh, argument. So we'll, that's the basic structure what we're doing here. If we could have that next slide, please, Zach. So it, it, the urging will be the very first part, and then the, the arguments he has the, for how God's word is true. So he's urging people to remember the truth that is in you in verses 12 through 15, and then he argues that God's word is, in fact, true. He does that with two pieces. Proof one is that I saw it myself, verses 16 through 18. And then finally, the second proof, that the prophets were right in what they said. So listen to those arguments this morning as I read through uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received glory and honor from the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we come here today, gather together as your people in this place, and Father, we just want to say thank you and praise you for giving us your holy word. Lord, for revealing yourself to us specifically in this way. Lord, we pray this morning as we study this together that you would uh, open our minds, you clear our minds of other things, that we could focus on this. Lord, that you would uh, help us to open our ears that we might hear it clearly. And Lord, most importantly, enlighten the eyes of our heart that we could understand what you're doing, who you are, what you've done, and how we're to live it out. Father, please change us, mold us, change what we love. Father, make us more like you. Lord, please do this for your glory and for our good. We pray all these things in your most holy name. Amen. Just remember as we work through this passage this morning that uh, Peter's focus in this letter is standing firm against uh, false teachers, particularly those who are teaching that Jesus may not uh, return at all. And we'll see Peter's chief weapon in this is, is in, uh, in both living out who they are in Christ for these people and for not wavering under the onslaught of these lies and half-truths is to remember. So that's his first major point in this passage is to remember. The therefore that he starts out verse 12 with that you see there is the link between 
uh, where he's gone and where he's been, and it reaches right back to verse 11 where he's talking about, therefore, because of these qualities that, and that's, again, that's what Randy preached on last week, Peter's basically saying, because of what I've just told you about the importance of living these things out, uh, you must remember. Um, so, so here's basically what Peter is trying to communicate in verses 12 and 13. He's saying, my, this is Peter's goal, is to immediately and continually put into your minds these things that I have taught you about. So immediately, because I'm about to go, and continually, as we work through this, uh, remember these things that I've already taught you about. So then moving on to 14 and 15, he explains why there's this sense of urgency that he has about doing this uh, immediately, this exhortation to remember. He says he will be depart, departing his tent shortly. Uh, the word in the ESV, you don't see tent, you see body. Uh, but literally in the Greek, the word is tent. And the, the idea that Peter is communicating here is the, the temporariness of his current physical existence. You know, he sees the, the end in sight there. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, also uses this same idea in 2 Corinthians 5. He talks about this tent, which is his body, which is, again, emphasizing that temporariness uh, of this life. And not only is he in a temporary tent, uh, in verse 14, Peter states directly that Jesus told him that his time was short. In John 21, if you remember, Jesus told Peter that he would grow old and he would be taken to places that he did not want to go but with no real specificity as to the timing of that, that sequence. Uh, so Paul, uh, Peter's statement here means that either Jesus has said, has said something more to him uh, that, we, that isn't recorded, that we don't know about, that tells him his time is imminent, or Peter's just connecting the dots. He's looking around going, okay, I'm old. I'm uh, likely, I mean, he's probably writing this from prison in Rome. So I'm in Rome, I'm in prison I'm looking around, I'm seeing Paul and all these guys, and the people are being martyred for Jesus, and Nero's the emperor, and this probably isn't going to end well, and so my end is probably near as well. Either way, uh, he's writing this because of that immediacy of his departure. Um, as we look at this idea of remembering, I think it's important to remember, remember this remembering. Uh, this has deep roots. It goes back to the Old Testament, to the earth. You know, we're reading through the, the Bible this year where I think we're, you know, a third of the way through numbers. And it's amazing how God consistently says the same thing to these people, to the Israelites as they leave Egypt. He says, I am God and I have rescued you from Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who took you out of Egypt. So he continually, and he says that because he wants them to remember, remember who I am and what I've done. And that's, and that, so this idea of, uh, remembering has, has deep, deep roots. So what, what good is this reminding that uh, Peter's doing here? Well, uh, we can look at the Roman Stoic Seneca, who is actually a tutor of Nero. So he's in this same time frame here, and he shed some light on that question. He says it like this. What good does it do to point out the obvious? A great deal of good, for we sometimes know facts without paying attention to them. The mind often tries not to notice even what lies before our eyes. We must therefore force on it the knowledge of the things that are perfectly well known. So I think he says that well, I think, and I, if any of you have raised kids, you've probably had that same sense of trying to help them see the immediate, you know, what's right in front of them. How would you, your room, the clothes, you know, what clothes? Well, you know, they, so the things that are clearly right in front of you, you have to remind them that they're actually there. They're things that are well known. 
And that's what Peter's saying here too. I want to force on you the same words that Seneca used into your mind, the things that you already know. So exactly what are these things that are to be remembered? Uh, I think remember like believe is something that requires content. You can't just tell somebody to remember because they're going to say, uh, remember what? I mean, I, what is it you want me to remember? So the content here, I think Peter makes very uh, explicit in verse 12. He says the qualities, and we've already touched on that from verses 5 through 11, and the truth that you have, uh, which together basically encompass everything we've looked at in the past two weeks, who we are in Jesus and how we become more like him. In his commentary on 2 Peter, Douglas Moo says it like this. Ultimately, as Jesus recognized, it takes the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the truths of the gospel. But God's word, written and proclaimed, is the source of that reminder. And what Peter is indirectly suggesting here is that the repetition of the truths of the gospel in both word and in acted out memorials like the Lord's Supper is a necessary component of a vital Christian experience. So the repetition of the truths of the gospel is a necessary component of the vital Christian experience. So how exactly is this reminding done? Well, in verse 13, Peter uses the word stir you up. Uh, this word is used elsewhere in the New Testament to uh, convey the idea of awakening from the sleep. It's the word that's used when the, the uh, apostles, the disciples are trying to, Jesus was in the boat in a storm and he was sleeping and they had to wake him up to, to take care of things. Uh, so, so it has that sense. It also is a word used to describe what the wind does over the water as it uh, creates waves. So this whole idea of stirring up is, uh, is what Peter is trying to do. I want to make sure you're all awake. I want to make sure you're all alert. I want to make sure that you're all engaged. So drilling a little deeper, how exactly did Peter stir them up? Well, uh, these people had been taught things, clearly, because that's what he said. I want these things you've already been taught, the truth that you have. They've been taught these things from Peter or the other apostles who introduced them to the faith. Um, and now he has written at least two letters that we have that, where he's taken these truths and recommunicated them to these people. So he's taken the time to write them a letter. These letters have been, then been given to someone. Take these to northern Turkey and then read them to these people. So he's gone to great length to have these truths been uh, brought before them again. Uh, so how do we appropriate that? How do we uh, know who God is and what he's done? How are we reminded of that? Well, I think God has spoken to us here as well uh, in his special revelation to us in his word. And we'll get to that uh, in more detail here in a minute. But how can we be reminded of who God is and what he's done? How can we remember? And I would offer you some fairly straightforward, uh, unrocket scientist-like things that we can all do to help us understand better uh, the Word of God. First, you can hear it. Um, uh, you can hear sermons, which you're doing here today, so you're to be commended. You're actually uh, beginning that process. You're here. It's a good start. Uh, you can listen to the Bible on audio. You can listen to podcasts. You can speak the truth to each other. Listen to the words from fellow believers in a community group, in your family, in your extended circle. You can get God's input into your life in that way. Uh, that's, the, that's the good thing that you the hearing you can do. The retention rate for hearing is about 5%, so that's kind of the bad news. Uh, you can read. Uh, daily devotionals are great. Spending time in God's Word is a must. As a follower of Jesus, you have to be doing that in some way, shape, or form. 
doing a Bible reading program in a year, two years, whatever the pace is, doing that with someone together. Uh, lots of opportunities here to read the Word of God. Retention rate goes from 5 to 10%, so we're on a good path here. Uh, so you can hear, you can read, you can study. And when we study the God, God's Word, you, you can do this. You can be involved in a personal Bible study. Do this on your own. You can join a Bible study group, which we have them here. So the men's group is going through the Gospel of Mark. The women are just starting uh, this week in the Second uh, Corinthians. So great opportunities here to gather with other people and study the Word of God together. You can also take an online class. You can go to seminary. I mean, there's lots of formal ways to get this input. Uh, read books. There's lots of things you can do to, uh, to study God's Word in that way. Retention rate? 50%-ish. So now we're, we're on a, a good slope here. Uh, hear, read, study. We can memorize God's word. Uh, Peter wanted them, and he, he says in verse uh, 15 that he wants them to, to be able to recall these things uh, at any time to be able to recall these things. So how does that, how do you do that? Well, I think I would offer that a good way to do that is to memorize the word of God. If you have it, if you've memorized it, then you have it there, and then you can recall it at any time, uh, depending on how good you're uh, program is to review what you've memorized. Um, Navigator's topical memory system is a great structured way to do that. There are other structured ways to do that that you can plug into. Uh, very good way to get God's word within you. Uh, retention rate goes up to 90 to 100%, depending on how good you are memorizing and how often you look back at it again. And finally, with any of those, with hearing, with uh, reading, with studying, with uh, memorizing, you can meditate on the word of God. And this is how you get it into your bones. You chew on it. You pour over it. You pray through it. You uh, wrestle with it. Uh, you get it deep inside of you. And this is the verse that we read collectively this morning out of Psalm 1. Uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And the picture of a tree by a stream with roots. And uh, it's just a wonderful picture of um, how to get the Word of God deep inside of you. Again, a uh, very high retention rate, 900% for that. So, uh, but, but please remember, as we talk about how to get the Word of God in you, uh, there's that word again, uh, remember. But uh, remember that we are not talking about knowledge for knowledge's sake. And this is, for many of us, this is uh, something we should be warned of. Uh, we're, we're, not talking about know, we're, we're not talking about knowing in that way, although that knowledge is, is uh, necessary and important. But we're talking about knowing the living God, knowing Him personally and intimately, uh, knowing um, Him in that way. So if the result of this study that you do and this reading and all these ways you get God's Word in is a big head, but you have a little tiny heart and little tiny hands, you're missing the point. Don't do that. Stop. You know, you need to do it in a way where you are abiding in the presence of God, where you, so this would lean towards the memorization, meditation, praying through end where, where God takes those and it goes into your, deep into your heart and your body. Um, but this word that we're talking about, that we do that with, this word from God, this word of God, this word which is God, uh, it, that's so central to these things we should remember, how do we know that it is actually uh, God's word, his truth. Uh, so now we move from Peter's urging, which was the first point, now to the second point, his argument. And again, he makes two, uh, two proofs here. The first one in 16 through 18, uh, he says, it's, I know God's word is true because I saw it. 
Um, he lays out this case um, you know, as in opposition to, he says, I'm, I'm gonna, we should recall these things in verse 15 as opposed to the myths that, uh, the cleverly devised myths of the false teachers that the, he is pointing towards in chapters 2 and 3. A couple of notes here as we work through this, this section. Uh, first, the, that power and meaning of our, or the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ are not two separate things. They're just one thing. Uh, the way they're connected there, they're both actually referencing the same idea. I think of it like His powerful coming. Um, and the coming that they are referring to is Christ's second coming. The word that is used in this text for coming is the same word that's used throughout the, the rest of the New Testament and, and almost all his points to His second coming. Um, and it's also, this is what the false teachers are disputing, that He's not coming. So it, all this fits together in that way. Also, his majestic glory, those are sort of odd words that uh, Peter uses there, but he's substituting that for the name of God. Um, it, it's Jewish practice, if you remember some of the Old Testament stuff, out of reverence not to say God's name out loud. So this is, the, the majestic glory is a, a holder for that, but it's also a picture of what Peter saw in this event that we're about to talk about, this event he's referring to that is at the core of his uh, trusting in God's word. So it well describes our great God and what Peter experienced. So then Peter moves on to, to this door-closing clincher for his argument as to the truth of, of this teaching, of his teaching. And he does that um, starting in verse 16 to 10. At the very end, he says, he actually says we, because there's a little larger group involved here, uh, were eyewitnesses to Jesus' majesty. So this majesty, what is that? Well, in verse 17 and 18, he explains exactly what the majesty is that he's talking about. It's, a, it's an event that happened in Peter's life that we call the transfiguration. It's detailed in each of the four Gospels. It's in Matthew 17, Mark 9, Luke 9, and touched on briefly in John 1. These passages tell in varying degrees of detail the, the, the same uh, story for all, the basic story, that, that Jesus took his inner circle, his bros, uh, James, John, and Peter, with him up to the mountain, so just the, the four of them up there together, and then Peter says, you're not going to believe what happened, but uh, at the top of this mountain, Jesus was transfigured before their very eyes, and his face, he describes it as uh, his, his face shone like the sun, and his clo clothes became white as light, and one of the accounts uh, talks about how it was whiter than any bleach that you could imagine, and with them were Moses and Elijah, and they were talking about Jesus' upcoming departure, so there's there's the three apostles up there, and, they, and they, Jesus comes, and Elijah and Moses show up. Jesus takes on this, he's transformed, he's transfigured before their very eyes into this, this uh, heavenly being, and then they begin this conversation Jesus does with Moses and Elijah, and the actual, they're talking about Jesus' upcoming departure, and that word departure in the Greek is exodus, and I can just imagine the conversation because, you know, there's Moses up there going, exodus. I know because Jesus was talking about that he was about to turn his face towards Jerusalem and begin his last trip to Jerusalem where he was going to suffer and die on the cross. So this is all right at the beginning of that point. And Moses probably went, uh, Jesus, I, I know about this Exodus thing. I, I have some experience. I was there. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I, I was there too, if you remember. And so I, I know about this. And Peter's kind of watching all this. And, and Peter does what only Peter can do at this point. And he goes, oh, wait. Let me build some tents. So he, run, you know, he wants to make three tents for Jesus and Moses and Elijah and, you know, and stay there for a while. 
And then right after that, there's this booming voice. A, a voice was heard from the cloud declaring the sonship of Christ and commanding the apostles to listen to him. So Peter's witnessing all, and this caused them great fear and awe and all that. But this is the majesty that Peter witnessed firsthand. And then he drives that point home in verse 18, just to make sure that his audience in this letter understands the point he's making. He says, we, and again in this he's, he's including James and John, we saw this with our own eyes. We heard this with our own ears. We were there with him on the mountain. So firsthand experience, firsthand account, uh, we were there. So basically, that's Peter's first argument. We saw this, and, and Moo summarizes it like this. He says, put simply, the transfiguration reveals Jesus as the glorious king, and Peter was there to see it. He therefore has utter confidence that Jesus will return as the glorious king and establish his kingdom in its final and ultimate form. So I saw him on the mountain, and that makes me convinced that he's, he is God and he is coming back. So that kind of transitions into Peter's uh, second point in verses 19 through 21. Um, he builds on this eyewitness testimony that he's just laid out for him, and he broadens the scope of a second argument uh, for the truth of his teaching. He says basically the prophets got it right. Not only did I see with my eyes, but the prophets, they got this right. So in verse 19, he introduces that argument, and I would again offer that verse 19 is the, the central verse in this passage. It doesn't look like it, but I think it is. Um, but I need to explain some, some terms uh, in this as well. The message in it, though, is, is simple but yet profound. First, in verse 19, the prophetic word. I think the prophetic word refers to the Old Testament scriptures, because that's the, the argument that he's having with these false teachers. And so the prophetic word in the Old Testament was the prophetic word about Jesus coming as the Messiah. There was that God was going to meet his people's needs and and in this way, and the Messiah would show. And I think I would argue that not only is he saying these Old Testament prophecies mean that, but he's also, I, I, would, I think it logically expands uh, by extension to the rest of the Old Testament clearly and the New Testament as well as God's uh, authored word. So how is this prophetic word uh, more fully confirmed? I think in this passage, at least two ways. First, we've already looked at. It's, it's more fully confirmed because Peter uh, personally witnessed the transfiguration. The prophets said the Messiah would come. I saw God come in the person. I mean, I, I, I saw that Jesus is God. Therefore, the prophets were right. And I think, uh, secondly, Peter's arguing that he has a more complete perspective on these events on the backside of the cross than the prophets did on the front side of the cross. And he... Um, that, that's the whole idea of more fully confirmed. He says, you know, if you think of the, the arc of the big story, of the meta-narrative of the, of the Bible, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. That's the big story. And so Peter even makes this point in, the, uh, in his first letter, in 1 Peter 1, chapter, uh, 1, Peter chapter 1 uh, starting in verse 11, he basically talks about, he, he addresses this issue with these people at the time stating that the prophets had actually been searching, uh, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, things into which angels longed to look. So he's arguing that the prophets, even by his admission, didn't see these things clear. They, were, they got together and they were saying, okay, 
uh, I got this piece. What do you think? Well, I don't know. When do you think it's coming? Well, it looks like maybe then, maybe, uh, uh, maybe later. And they really didn't know. And even the angels were, didn't see all this played out. And his argument is that now we're on the other side of the cross, and we can see this much more clearly. I have been with him. I have seen his life. I have seen his death. I have seen his resurrection. I have seen his ascension into heaven. I have seen the Holy Spirit come down on us in this way. I've, I've seen all that. I've, I've experienced that. And, and even more than the, the men on the road to Emmaus, if you remember that story, uh, Peter now understood how Christ was the fulfillment of the Scriptures. So if you have any doubt about Peter's understanding of that, just uh, go back and read his first sermon in Acts 2. It's clear. He and we have this more fully confirmed word. In the rest of verse 19, Peter tells his audience what you're supposed to do with these prophetic words. And surprise, surprise, he says, pay attention, which is a lot, lot like remember. Um, he says, pay attention to those words. They will be like a lamp shining in a dark place. I think this is a beautiful picture right out of Psalm 119.105, which says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So I've had occasion to root around in the dark corners of my attic. Um, and you know what I found really helpful when I'm doing that? A flashlight. And the flashlight, then I can shine and see where I'm going. And, but then I got some of these. This, these things that I found to be really helpful in this situation were headlamps. Because now you wear the headlamp. You know, if, if you've got a flashlight, you've got to point it, and, you know, it takes a hand. You don't have the other hand to do all those things. But the headlamp, wherever you look, there's light. It's amazing. Uh, this reminds me of the frontlets that, the, uh, that God told the Israelites to wear on their head. So that there was this box that they put on their head that had a verse in it. And it, the whole idea was Jesus or God, God was trying to tell the Israelites, get my word into you the same way that we're talking about today. So they put it in a box, put it on their head, wore this around. And, uh, but even more than that, we can have this word not in a little box on our forehead. We can have it inside of us. We can memorize it. We can meditate on it. We get it deep in our bones, all those things. And now we have this word not in a box but inside our brains, uh, providing God's wisdom, God's discernment, God's perspective on life. So now wherever our head turns that's full of the word of God, there's light. There's light for us in this dark place. There's light for us in this dark world. We have the light of the scriptures guiding us in our path as we move forward. So the, this last phrase in this verse 19 here tells us how long we need to do this. It says, until the day dawns, which uh, the day refers to the day of the Lord, which is a judgment day. And I think that's, again, looking forward to a second coming. And then uh, until the morning star rises, uh, Jesus calls himself the morning star in Revelation 22, 16, has the same picture. So both of those together point forward to his second coming. So the simple truth, the nugget truth here is that this verse 19 states that from now until Jesus' return, this place that we are in now, uh, we are to let his word illuminate our path. And finally, let's look at the last two verses, verses 20 and 21. Uh, and these are formative in our understanding of how God has spoken to us in his word. Uh, but before we dive in, I just need to say this. These verses are huge. They are the foundational verses for what we believe about the word of God and how it was transmitted to us. 
they form the foundation for much of our theology on the Word of God. Uh, they need an entire separate sermon, uh, which I'm not going to give you today to mind those depths. We need a whole separate time, and a lot of you are probably breathing a sigh of relief. Um, and some of you, those of you who have the $10,000 tickets to the Super Bowl probably would uh, not hang around that long anyway. But um, that's not, I, I just want to talk about it enough today for you to understand the point Paul is trying to make, or Peter is trying to make here as he closes this argument. Uh, verse 20, he says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Uh, notice here that he's not talking just about this idea or event that the prophets foretold. It's not just the event, but he's also talking about, he uses the word Scripture, which the, the Greek word is graphe, so he's talking about the actual writing of these events, so it's the Scripture itself he's addressing as well here. Um, and in that context, there's some debate here uh, amongst all the scholars on what this, whose interpretation this actually is. If you have the ESV, which you do if you have the, the Scripture journal, it, it uses the words, um, uh, the actual, it uses someone's own interpretation. And what it's talking about there is the idea that it's you or, or me, you know, someone that's reading this word and interpreting it. And that's how it's translated in the ESV and uh, many other versions as well. That, so that's one option. Or the other option is it's the prophet himself as he receives this word from God does not make it into what he wants it to. Um, and that, that's carried in the idea that the NIV translates, it came about by the prophet's own interpretation. So whether it's our interpretation or the prophet's interpretation is the, the debate. That's how the NIV, the New Living, and some others uh, translate as well. Based on the context that we're in here and the argument that Peter's making, I think the ESV gets it right. But really, I think both of them are true. So the, the prophet's words are are held and the prophecies as they're interpreted are it's not subject to somebody else's whim it's it's they're actually it's actually the word of god properly interpreted uh, verse 21 goes on to, and speaks to the actual origins of god's word it doesn't come from the mind of man or the will of man but men spoke from god so it's not divine dictation it's not uh a divine puppet, marionette, that's you know, writing the words in that way. Nor is it a man who receives this idea from God and then writes whatever he wants to about it. Uh, it is 100% God's words breathed out through a man who is 100% engaged in the process. Uh, his, this man who's writing this, his background, his vocabulary, his culture, all of this are a part of the writing as he communicates it. It's a beautiful, uh, wonderful miracle. Um, I love that picture, just carried, carried uh, along by the Holy Spirit and that God, Ephesians, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, the word is breathed out by God, just a great picture. So I think Peter closes this strong argument for the trustworthiness of the scriptures on these two things. One, his eyewitness testimony, and two, the proven reliability of the prophets, both their interpretation of the prophecies and the fact that they were not God's words, not man's words, but God's words. Uh, if we could go to the next slide, please. And so in closing, let me try to pull all this together. In the tree, huh? Yeah. Uh, remember the lamp in the dark place. Here, here's a picture that I want to, to help us visually uh, embed some of this, hopefully in our minds, to help us to uh, guess what? Remember. Um, if, if you look at the roots of the tree here, it's the, the Word of God, the Word, God's Word, and God's Spirit are those deep roots that anchor us in Him. Again, Psalm 1 was a great opening because it has that, that same picture. When I see this tree, I think of Psalm 1. I think of 
Uh, Jeremiah 7, you know, blesses the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by water that sends its roots to the stream. Same idea. John 15, abiding in Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, same picture. Um, slightly different metaphor, but same picture. Uh, so the way that I try to put these things together, so the Word of God and the Spirit of God, those deep roots, and those, as we've seen even in this, in this passage, it's the Spirit of God that makes the Word of God understandable to us. It's His job to help us ingest those things. So those two roots work together to anchor us deeply in Him. And then we're all planted in, in the people of God, in us. So as you, we do community together, in church, in community groups, in family, we have this opportunity to speak truth in each other's lives. And that provides nutrients into our soul and enables us to, to grow as, uh, as trees. And the result of all that is, is the fruit. It's both the fruit of the Spirit, which I would argue is what we talked about last week with the qualities, all those things that describe what we should look, at, look like as we mature in Christ, and Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things make us look more like Christ. And as we're transformed into, into His image, we bring glory to Him. And that's, what, that's why we're here. I think another part of why we're here is to bear fruit. And the other parts of that fruit, other than looking like Christ, is the fruit of people who don't know Jesus coming to know Jesus. So I think that both of those things are signs of a healthy plant, signs of a... Uh, a healthy tree or vine that's growing and has these, these things that happen. And the action point for us is the Word of God, is taking these steps of, of hearing and reading and studying and memorizing and meditating on God's Word, getting it in our bones and becoming shaped by Him and in that way, um, to be deeply rooted in His Word. So if, if what Peter said here today is not true, if this is not God's word to us, then we should just read it lightly, look for a few principles to maybe make our life better, uh, cut out or ignore the verses that we don't like, maybe update a few of the words to our modern meaning so that it makes it more palatable in the culture that we live in, and go on our merry way. But because Peter, what he said is actually true, and because these are the very words of God himself, then by His grace, we should do everything we can to get them into our bones. And then we should bow down and worship our great God. And we should do what He says, because He is God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time this morning together in Your Word. Lord, help us, as Peter did, to make it our intention to remember. Lord, empower us by your spirit to take real, actual steps towards knowing you better through your word. Lord, help us not to be people with big heads and little hearts and little hands. Lord, enlarge our hearts that we might run in your ways. Father, you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. You have given us your precious promises. You have made known to us the path of life. Lord, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Father, help us to dwell in your presence for your glory and for our good. For it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.